Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here at Grace Church. And uh, Josh and Evie, congratulations on getting baptized. That is so awesome uh, just to be able to get a chance to see that. It's good to be with you guys here this morning. It's great to see you as we're continuing in a series um, that we started last week that we've been calling Spaces. And, uh, and so this is the second week in that series. And as a way of kind of starting that off, I just want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, to go ahead and grab them right out of the gate and uh, take those and go with me to Romans chapter 12. And so if you've got your Bibles, take them with me. And uh, let's turn together to Romans chapter 12 this morning. And uh, let me just also say that if you do not own a Bible, you just don't have one or you didn't bring one, that's no problem. We actually have some Bibles for you um, in those chairs there in front of you. You can grab those. You can turn to page uh, 790. And those Bibles is where we're going to find Romans chapter 12. So you guys can go ahead and flip there. And then once you got Romans 12 open, uh, whether you have your own Bible or one of our Bibles or you're a smartphone user or whatever, once you have it open, just hold it there for a minute. And uh, we're going to come back to that here in a second. All right, so go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 12. Um, so a, uh, a really kind of cool place to visit here in Northeast Ohio, um, if you haven't already, my guess is many of you have, uh, up in Cleveland is Little Italy. Uh, how many of you guys have been to Little Italy before up in Cleveland? Yeah, it's a cool little spot. If you're looking for um, kind of a cool date night or just sort of a departure from normal Northeast Ohio living, and you want to go just sort of experience a small piece of, of Italian culture, uh, Little Italy is a fun place to go. And so, uh, like many cities in America, uh, Little Italy is just sort of a snapshot. It's a, it's a destination in which you get um, a little bit of Italian culture. And so you go up there, and if you like Italian food, they have uh, an array of Italian restaurants, and some of them have authentic Italian food. So if you're in the mood for authentic Italian, not just like Olive Garden, uh, but something legit, uh, you can go up to, to Little Italy and get some good food that way. If you have a sweet tooth, um, like I do, they have these incredible little bakeries up in uh, Little Italy, and you can get um, like Italian pastries, like the, uh, the Pitzel cookies, uh, or you can get the cannolis, or other extremely high-fattening but delicious uh, pastries. You can get those things. Uh, they have little coffee shops up there where you can get Italian blends of coffee. Uh, you can get gelato. Uh, you can get, uh, I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, you can get Italian ice, but you get a lot of really, really good stuff up there. So you get sort of a piece of Italian culture when you go up there. And in addition to not only the food and the restaurants and the bakeries and the coffee shops, they also have a variety of like art studios and art galleries. And so sort of keeping with the Italian culture, um, you get the food, you get the art, um, there's Italian music, and you might actually even run into some people who speak Italian. And so for a very, very brief period of time, when you go up there, you almost get a, a picture of what it's like to be part of Italian culture. I'm sure not entirely, but to some degree or another. But if you guys have been up to Little Italy, one of the things that you know about Little Italy up in Cleveland is that while it's fun, it is really, 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 um, well, little, right? It is just a tiny little thing up in Cleveland. In fact, I think if you look at it on a map, it's kind of confined to one city block. And really, it's just one street. And you can walk up and down Little Italy over the course of a half an hour if you wanted to. So this isn't like a place that you go to to like spend a couple of days. This is like a place that you go for one evening for a date night, and it's kind of fun, right? Um, and so if you go out of Little Italy, if you leave that block and you go a couple blocks over, if you get in your car and you drive out of Little Italy, um, you're going to be right back in normal Northeast Ohio, right? You're going to have McDonald's and Taco Bell, and there's going to be gas stations. And for that brief period of time, in that brief location, in that brief space, you have a glimpse of what it might be like to be part of Italian culture, but it's in the midst of Northeast Ohio, right? 
Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because uh, we are in a series right now, we're calling Spaces, and what we're doing in this series is we're really having a conversation about the church. It's a topic that we're talking about. And we're really sort of, we said that in this series, Clark was kind of started last week, and we were saying we're really hoping to sort of define, and maybe for some of us even redefine, uh, what does it mean to be in the church? What does it mean to be part of the church? And here's what I believe. I believe that today in our culture, Uh, that for many, there is this growing view that what it means to be part of the church, we view it a lot like a Northeast Ohioan visiting Little Italy. Here's what I mean. Think about it for a minute. Little Italy is one space. It is one location. Um, It is kind of a departure from normal life, and it's sort of a compartment within uh, the greater Cleveland area. And many of us view church that way right? It is, a, it is one space, it is one area, it is one destination, and for the most part, it's sort of a departure from our normal lives. It's a compartment of our lives, but it really doesn't have much to do with anything else. And so, and so for many of us, that's the way we view church, right? Church is a, is, is a destination, it's one little piece of our lives, and so it's a place that we come on Sunday morning for one hour a week, and we do churchy things, right? And so we experience church culture when we come here, And so we're going to sing churchy songs, and we're going to open the Bible, and we're going to read churchy things. We're going to say things that we wouldn't say any other place in our life when we're in church. So we go out in the cafe, and we'll find ourselves saying stuff like amen and hallelujah. And if you grew up in the church, maybe maybe you might remember this one. You guys ever used the word narthex before? Anyone ever hear that word? Man, I remember, I didn't grow up in the church. I remember the first time I heard someone say narthex, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, meet me in the narthex. I'm like, is that the future? Is that what that is? Because it sounds like a robot, right, narthex? But that's just a fancy way of saying lobby. And so what happens sometimes is we view church like Little Italy. We do things, we say things that, we, that don't really have anything to do with any other part of our life. It is a departure. It is one location, but that's it. We, we attend, and then we go back, and this has nothing to do with any other part of our life. And, and, and listen, in the Bible, when you start studying and you look at what the Bible teaches about church, and you dig in a little bit, one of the things that you see in Scripture is that the picture that the Bible gives us of being part of the church looks a lot less like in Northeast Ohio and visiting Little Italy, and it actually looks a lot more like being an Italian who lives in Italy, Right? And you guys know there is a big difference between those two things. The Bible is going to tell us when you read in Scripture that being part of the church is not intended to ever be just a compartment of your life. But instead, the Bible says that it's an identity that we take on. For those of us who follow Jesus, it is now an identity that we take on. And now it infiltrates every aspect of our life. It's a new identity that we put on. The Bible's going to show us that being part of the church is never intended to be a departure from normal life, right? But being part of the church, the Bible tells us, is actually supposed to be something that redefines normal for us, that, that there is a new normal when you become a person who follows Jesus and you become part of the church. The Bible's going to tell us that being part of the church is far less about where you are and is far more about who you are. It's way less about location, and it's a lot more about identity. It's who I am, right? It's, it's, it's a lot less like a Northeast Ohio, Ohioan visiting Little Italy. It's a lot more like being Italian. It, it, it infiltrates every space of my life. And so if you guys were here last week, Clark did such an awesome job, and he started by giving us kind of the big idea for this whole series. And here was the big idea that he introduced us to for this series. What we've been saying is that the church is not defined by a space, 
But rather, when we look in the scripture, we see that the church defines every space. That, that it's a lot less like a Northeast Ohio and visiting Little Italy. It's a lot more like being Italian. It's a new identity for those of us who follow Jesus. You see, because when you open the Bible and you look in scripture about it, what it means to be part of the church, we see that this is an issue of identity in, in what the Bible tells us. And so the Bible basically tells us this. It says that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Christ and you make a decision to follow him, and I know that not everyone in this room has done that. Some of you are still investigating Jesus or you're still trying to put it all together and that's totally fine. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we've said we wanna follow him, we stake our claim in him, the Bible says that when we do that, there is an identity shift that takes place. And the Bible says this in many different places in many different ways, but the Bible will, will go on to say things like this. It'll say, when you put your faith in Christ, you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come away. You have a new identity. The book of 1 Peter puts it this way. It says that when you put your faith in Jesus and you start following Christ, that in Christ, you have a new citizenship. You are a citizen of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. You have put on a new identity and that new identity that you have in Jesus now is gonna go with you everywhere that you are. Now, I understand that when I say that, that when you begin to follow Jesus, that you take on a new identity, that that might sound abstract and that might sound like a mystical thing. And you know what? It is sort of a mystical thing. As a matter of fact, theologians call this concept of having an, a new identity in Christ, they call this the mystical union. And, uh, and I'm just telling you, when you go in the scripture, one of the things that becomes evidently clear in the New Testament is that over, over, and over again in the New Testament, we are told about this new identity that we have in Christ. And we see it all over the place. In fact, there are over 200 verses in the New Testament, over 200, where we are told about what happens when we are now in Christ, about this new identity in Christ. Some of you may have seen that or heard that before, that little phrase. It's repeated all throughout scripture, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Now, let me just give you a quick snippet to try to make this clear. But like I said, there's over 200 verses. Let me give you a sample of just a few of them of what the Bible says about this new identity for those of us who follow Jesus, this new position that we have in Christ. So let's just take a look. I'll just show you a few of them. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, right? There's our key phrase there. It's about our new identity, our new position for those who follow Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. And so the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, for those of us who have done that, that there is a new identity shift that has taken place. We are new creations now. We are new creatures. Look what else the Bible says about our new position in Christ. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says when we put our faith in Christ, we are now in Christ Jesus and that there is a forgiveness of sins. There is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. Let me show you a couple more. Look at this, Romans chapter eight, verse two. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so the Bible says that when we place our faith in Christ, that we have a new position, we have a new identity, and we are now free from the law of sin and death because we are in Christ. Romans eight thirty nine says this, neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, there it is, there it is again. And I'm telling you, over 200 times, we see this fleshed out in scripture. We are in Christ, there's a new identity, there's a new position. 
1 Corinthians 1.30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus now, who became to us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The Bible says we have access to all of these things. Now, because of our new position, our new identity, we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. We have triumph in Christ. You guys get the picture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Our position again, our new identity in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no, no sin to be um, sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ, in him. And like I said, that little phrase, in Christ, in him, shows up in scripture over 200 times. Now, what is, that, what is that telling us? Here's what it's talking about. It's talking about a new identity that we have. It's talking about a new position that we have in Christ. And this is what the Bible tells us about us who follow Jesus. Now, I know that as you read that, it might be a little bit difficult to get your mind around. It seems like it's kind of an abstract thing. So let me try to illustrate this in a way that I think is not perfect, but I think is helpful for us, okay? So I brought with me um, something from home. It's not this stool, I promise. Um, but one of the things that I brought from home was I brought this, this fireproof safe, all right? And so this is my fireproof safe. And allegedly, I've never actually tried this thing out, so I don't know if it's true, but allegedly this thing is fireproof, um, it is floodproof, it is bulletproof, and it is theftproof, allegedly. I've never tried it, but that's what it's supposed to be. And some of you guys have these things at home, right? Some of you have bigger saves. But this is the kind of safe that you bolt down, um, that you put very, very valuable and fragile things in, right? So if you have sensitive information, like your social security card or your birth certificate, a lot of times you'll put that in here. Because in the case of a fire or in the case of, of someone breaking into your house, you don't want them to be able to, to, to get those things, right? If you have a family heirloom or something that is somewhat fragile, you're going to put it in here, right? Because this is fireproof, bulletproof. It's going to keep it safe, right? So just for our illustration's sake, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that this fireproof safe is representative of Jesus Christ. Now, that seems strange, but you're going to get what I'm talking about here in a minute. Now, I also brought with me um, some grass, um, this is not special grass. This is just grass. I just went outside and grabbed this grass, okay? And the reason I grabbed grass, this, is, this might sound strange, but this represents you and I. Um, now, that's a weird thing, right? But it's actually not. In the Bible, one of the illustrations the Bible gives us about us, often and frequently, is it says that we're like grass. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are like the wildflower, that we're like the grass, that we um, easily wither, um, that we fall and fade, that our lives are temporary, that we are easily blown by the wind, that we are easily mowed down and cut down, that we are weak, that we are frail, that we are susceptible to, to disease, we are susceptible to being dirty. All of those things are true about us. So this is what the Bible says you and I are. We are grass, okay? Now, now I just want you to, to, with me, just go with this, okay? So if I was to put this grass, as weird as this is, if I was to put this in this fireproof safe, right, in this bulletproof, floodproof safe, once I do that and I put this grass in here, there are now things that are true about this grass when it is in this box that were not true about it when it was outside of the box, true or false? True. There's things that are true about this grass that weren't true about it before. And so now if I asked you about that grass, if I said, hey, is that grass fireproof? You would say, well, 
not in itself, but when it's in the box, yeah, yeah, it's fireproof. If I asked you, man, is that, is that grass, is it strong? You'd say, well, not by itself, right? I mean, by itself, you can mow it down, you get a weed whacker, whack that stuff, right? You just pull it right up out of the ground. But in this box, because it's in this box, yes, it's strong. Because everything that could be said about this box, now that the grass is in the box, could be said true about the grass, right? That, that is the new position, it is the new identity that this grass takes on now that it is placed in the box. You guys see where I'm going with this, right? The Bible says that our position in Christ is that now there is a new identity that we take on. And the Bible says this, the Bible says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That in Jesus Christ, those who follow him, we are forgiven of our sins, we have been cleansed and we've been purified. And some of you might be saying, well, I don't feel cleansed. I don't feel, feel purified, I don't feel forgiven. Well, that's right, that's because you're looking at yourself. And that's because you're looking at your guilt and looking at your shame. But the Bible says you need to look at your position now. You're in Christ, and in Jesus Christ, you are now forgiven, you are now secure, you are now protected. But the Bible says that when we're in, in Christ now, we are righteous, we are declared righteous before God. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't feel righteous, I feel like a screw up, you know, and I keep messing up, and I feel like I can't get my stuff together, and I feel like, man, I just, as much as I try, I keep failing. Well, that's because you're focusing on yourself. In yourself, you're weak. In yourself, you're not strong. But in Christ, his righteousness has been imputed onto you. And what can be said true about Jesus is now true about you. That you the Bible says that in Christ, man, that we are strong. We have strength in Christ. You might be saying, I don't feel strong. I don't feel strong. I feel weak. I feel like I'm easily mowed down. I feel like I'm easily swayed. Well, that's right. It's because you're looking at yourself. But your position in Christ says that, no, no, no. In Jesus, there's a new reality. You have a new identity. You have a new position. And this is who you are in Jesus Christ. You guys understand this? The Bible says that now that we're in Christ, man, we are fireproof. We are floodproof. We are theftproof. Man, we are bulletproof. Not because we are, but because he is. And all through the New Testament, this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand. This is who you are now that you follow Jesus, right? And you guys, for any, for any one of us who follows Christ, you have to understand that the Bible says that this is our reality. This is, this is not some metaphor. Um, it's not just some abstraction. This is in many ways a more firm reality than even the temporary reality that we face in life right now. Because the Bible says that this is an eternal truth about us, that we have a new identity, we have a new position in Christ. Man, you are secure in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. You are fireproof in Christ, and that's true about all of us. Now, now some of you might be thinking when you hear that, you're like, well, that's pretty cool, and that, that's helpful, um, but what in the world does that have to do with the church? Well, let me tell you, because this, this is where it gets really, really, really important. I want you to tune into this. This is where Romans 12 comes in passage I had, I had you flip to. And I want you to notice what the apostle Paul is about to say about our new position in Christ and what, and what that means for us and how it relates to the church. This is awesome. Watch what he says. Okay, we're going to start off in verse three of Romans chapter 12. The apostle Paul says this. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do, and by the way, he's speaking here to the church, to those who follow Jesus. So he says, I say to every one of you who follows Christ, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So the apostle Paul basically says this. He says, listen, 
for those of us who follow Jesus, he says, you need to not think of yourself more highly than you should, but you should think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, what he's saying is we need to think of ourselves accurately. We need to think of ourselves and assess ourselves accurately. And how do we assess ourselves accurately? What does it mean to think about ourselves accurately, Paul? He's going to tell us, look at verse 4. For just as each one of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so, now look at this, so in Christ, there's our statement, in Christ, right? We, we, though many, and there are many of us who follow Jesus here today, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Did you guys catch what the Apostle Paul is saying here about our position in Christ, you guys? This is huge. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. He's saying that our, our position in Christ, the mystical union, right, that we are now in Christ, does not simply have personal implications, and it does, but it has corporate implications. You guys tracking with that? The Bible tells us that now that we're in Christ, that is not simply an individual connection with God. We are now not simply one with Jesus, which we are now that we're in Christ. But the Bible says that it also has a horizontal implication that we are now also one with each other who follow Christ. That we are united, that, that there are many of us, but we together form one body and we belong to each other. The way that Ephesians puts it and the way that Romans puts it here is it says we are members of one another. And so what this passage is telling us is that the mystical union that we are positioned in Christ, for those of us who follow Jesus, is not simply a vertical connection that we have with God. It also means that there is a now a horizontal connection that we have with one another. We are members of one another. And you guys, this is what it means when we say the church. This is what the church is. If you guys were with us last week, Clark did such an awesome job, and he showed us that in the original language, the word church that's used for church is just a simple word in the Greek. It's ekklesia, and all it means is this. It means group. That's what the word church means. It just means group, and the question is, a group of what? A group of what? Well, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about all of us who are in Christ, all of us who are Christ followers, who are weak on our own, who are blown and tossed on our own. We are now in Christ, but the Bible says that we are now the group, those who are in Christ, that that is the church, and that we are now not only united to Jesus, but we are now united to each other. And you guys, what this means is this, because the implications are huge. It means that having a radical commitment to Jesus Christ does not simply include a vertical connection with God, but it also means that we have to have a radical commitment to each other. I put it in the negative way. Here's the negative sense of it. You cannot have a radical commitment to Christ without having a radical commitment to other Christians. You can't. In the Bible, it, it is a contradiction in terms because to be united to Christ means that we are now united to each other, that we are members of one another and there is a union between us. And that's why the Bible is gonna go on from this point forward in the New Testament and it's gonna tell us that all of the meaning and significance and all of the purpose and all of the growth and all of the mission that God wants for us, for you and I, happens in the context of this committed relationship with each other to the church. That's why the Bible, the, we, we've talked about this before here at the Medina East Campus. It's why there's over 60 commandments that are given in the New Testament that talk about the way we should enact with, interact with one another. 
We should forgive one another, love one another, confess our sins to one another, bear one another's burden. And what is that talking about? It's talking about living the life of God and living that in a committed relationship to each other. There is a union now. The body describes us now, or the Bible describes us now as the body of Christ, that each one of us belongs to each other. And just like a body has multiple body parts and all of them have different functions, when we come together and we use those gifts to serve each other and to serve others, this is what's taking place. It is the mystical union of Christ that you cannot have a deep commitment to Jesus without having a deep commitment to other Christ followers. It is impossible, right? It's something that God envisions for us. And that's why the Bible tells us that the way that we grow spiritually the way that we grow up into becoming more like Jesus involves a horizontal connection with each other. That is to say that growing in Jesus is not an individual activity. It's not, right? And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have an individual relationship with Christ. We need to have that, right? Some of you are like, man, I want to study my Bible. I want to pray. I want to have a personal relationship with God on my own. And that's a good thing. In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about how valuable that is. But listen, if that's all you have, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't have a deep commitment to other Christ followers in your lives in ways that you can serve them, in ways that you can use your spiritual gifts to help serve one another, to enact the one another's, then you are missing out on one of God's greatest means in your life to grow you, to add purpose to your life and the meaning and significance of your life because this is our new identity. We're in Christ and we're in each other and there's a deep commitment that happens that way. I love the way the the book of Ephesians puts it. Ephesians chapter four says it this way. It says, from him, that's Jesus, the whole body is joined together by every supporting ligament and it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You guys, what the Bible tells us here is it says that the way that we grow is we grow together. That's the way that we grow spiritually. And Ephesians chapter four is gonna tell us that, that it's as we're committed to one another in our horizontal relationships with each other that we will then grow vertically in our relationship with Jesus. And we cannot grow vertically in our relationship with Jesus without a horizontal commitment to one another. Because now that we are in Christ, it doesn't only have personal ramifications, it has corporate ramifications. We are now called to a new community. And this is the way that we grow. As we grow in our relationships with one another, we grow in our relationship to Jesus. I think one of the um, greatest illustrations of this profound truth is uh, if you think about, uh, one of the illustrations I've always loved for years and years and years is uh, if you think about those, those massive trees in California, you guys know the redwoods or the sequoia trees? Uh, one of the things that's on my bucket list, I don't really have a bucket list, but if I had a bucket list, this would be on it, is I've always wanted to go to the uh, Sequoia National Forest Um, And I know Clark, who was teaching last week, he actually got a chance to go there um, not too long ago, a couple months ago, and he was telling me about it, said it was really awesome. But if you guys have ever seen those sequoia trees, I have a picture of them here, they are just massive, massive, massive trees. And it's really fascinating when you look into them, um, there is some really, really strange facts about these trees. So one of the things I thought was fascinating is that they are, I don't know if you knew this, they are fireproof, um, they are insect repellent, and they are drought proof. Isn't that crazy? I mean, these trees are amazing. And part of the reason is because they have such thick bark. So their bark can get to be two feet in thickness. It's massive. Of course, they can grow to be over 300 feet tall. You guys think about that, 300 feet. You guys ever go to Cedar Point, you know the Millennium Force? Imagine a tree as tall as the Millennium Force. That's how tall these things are, huge, 30 feet in diameter, just massive, massive, massive trees. They they can live to be 3,000 plus years old, just huge trees. 
One of the things that fascinates me the most about the sequoia tree, though, is, is that they can grow to be 300 feet tall in as little as three feet of soil. Isn't that crazy? Three feet of soil, and they can grow to be that tall. And the question is, how do they do that? How do they do that? Well, here's how. Rather than growing their roots super, super deep in the ground, what the sequoia does is it grows its roots very, very long. And so it'll grow out its roots to be about 300 feet out in diameter, just like a football field, right? And here's the crazy part. Sequoias, for the most part, grow the best when they're together with other sequoias. And the reason they do that is because they do not compete for resources. Instead, what they do is they grow their roots out and they interlock and intertwine their roots with other trees. And they do that so much that we're told that the sequoia trees will actually fuse their roots together so that when, the nutrient, when one tree gets nutrients, it will then share that with all the other trees to the root system. And so one, one of those sequoias gets more sunlight than the others. It will share that resource with the other trees through its root system, right? When one gets more rainfall than another, it will then share that resource with all the other sequoias through its, its horizontal relationship and its root system. They will share with each other, and each part will do its work, and together they will grow up together. And as they grow together horizontally in the relationship to each other, they then also grow vertically towards the sun. You guys see exactly where this illustration takes place. That is a picture of what the Bible tells us is true about our new relationship with Jesus Christ. That our relationship with Christ tells us that now as we grow in our relationships with each other, as we as the body of Christ, each one of us does our work and we use our gifts to serve each other, that as we fuse our life into one another, that we then share those resources and we grow together into the likeness of Christ. In our horizontal growth, we will also grow vertically in our relationship with God. And this is the picture that the Bible gives us of what it looks like to be part of the church. We are now in Christ that has personal ramifications and we grow to be more like him in our vertical relationship with him. But it also has horizontal implications. We are now members of one another. We belong to each other. And the way that God has designed us to grow is that we need to be an interlocking, interwoven, symbiotic relationship with each other. And as each one of us does our work and we share those resources, we grow together. Growing in Christ is not an individual activity. It is a team sport. It's something that we have to do with one another and together in each other. And you guys, this is the picture the Bible gives us of what it means to be the church and what it means to grow in Christ, right? But here's the thing, it's a beautiful picture, but you guys know this, for us to live out that life that we see in the Bible, it is impossible for us to do that if all we do is limit our involvement and connection with God to one hour a week on Sunday during this time with all of these people. It's not gonna happen. The, the vision that the Bible gives us of what it means to be a church cannot be accomplished in one hour on Sunday in a large group space like this. It won't be accomplished that way, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place for this. Clark talked about that last week. There's significance and importance to being part of a large group setting. Absolutely. There's amazing things that happen when we get together like this, man. We open the Bible together. We get a chance to learn together. We watch people get baptized together. We celebrate together. We sing together. But what I'm saying is if you want to live out the fullness of what God intends for us in the Christian life, it is impossible to do that one hour a week, one day a week on Sunday here in this space, right? This is not little Italy. This is not one little space in our lives, one little compartment in our lives that has nothing to do with everything else. The picture the Bible gives us is that there's a new identity of being in Jesus. And this is why when you read the Bible, by the way, when you look at the early church, 
they did not simply meet together once a week in a large group setting. They would also, the Bible says, they would meet together in a big space like this and they would get together. But then the Bible says they would also go out and they would meet in each other's homes during the week. And they would get together and they would share meals together. And the Bible says that they would devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. I mean, they would open their Bibles and they would do a Bible study together and they would practice the one another's. They would forgive one another. They would confess their sins to one another. They would pray for one another. They would bear one another's burdens. They would help each other. They would stabilize one another in the faith. They would encourage each other every day. And the Bible says that, man, being part of the church wasn't confined to a space for the, for the early church. It redefined every space for them. And you guys, one of the main reasons that we here at the Medina East Campus are always talking about and always pushing life groups, one of the reasons that we do that is because we believe that if we want to live out the biblical picture that we see of what it means to follow Jesus, that that is impossible if all we do is limit church to just this one space, this one thing that happens here on the weekends. It has to penetrate into, it has to permeate into all these different aspects of our life, right? And it's only in those spaces where we are able to practice the one another's and we're able to pray for each other and we're able to enact the gifts that God has given us to serve other people. It's only when we can do that that we can grow in the way that God desires us to grow, right? This is not an individual sport, man. It's a team activity and all of us are interwoven together. We belong to each other, right? And once we begin understanding our identity in Christ, and once we begin to start understanding that our identity in Christ is not just a personal thing, it's a corporate thing, that we are members of one another, it begins to, begins to train me to think differently about myself, and it begins, begins to train me to think differently about my time together with other followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just try to put a little skin on this, because I know it sounds a little abstract. So let me tell you one way that this identity changes the way that I think about myself and the way I think about others. So um, one of the things that is true about my family right now is that my family, uh, my wife and my boys, we are committed to a life group that we're part of. So on Tuesday nights, uh, we go to a, a life group and uh, it's a great life group, awesome people there. The leaders are phenomenal. And, uh, and so we go there every Tuesday, real committed to it. Ever since we've been part of the Medina campus, we've been part of a life group the whole time. And, uh, and, and I would just say that most of the time on most given weeks, I'm looking forward to going to life group most of the time. Right? I'm like, man, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody, looking forward to open the Bible together, looking forward to the snacks, especially. We got really good food. I'm like looking forward to all that together. I, I, I like food a lot, if you couldn't tell. I've been talking about it a lot. But I'm like, I'm looking forward to that, right? But there are some weeks, let's just be straight. There are some times and there are some weeks that I just don't want to go. And that's true for everything in life, right? That's just true for everything. There's sometimes you just don't want to go. And, uh, and so a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were getting ready to go to life group. And uh, man, it was just one of those weeks. It was like so busy, back to back to back. Things were going on. We were running around like crazy. And I was just tired. So I'd worked the full day, just like many of you have. And we were just kind of like, both Jess and I were just like, man, we just don't want to go tonight. We just not, we're not feeling it, right? And, um, and so in my mind, I was like, well, maybe I could just stay home. We could just, you know, veg out, watch some reruns of the Wonder Years on Netflix. Like that sounds good to me. That's what I want to do, you know? And, and, but then what happened was, and part of it was because I was preparing for this message and I kind of knew that this was coming. I started to think to myself, I thought, no, man, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have to remember who you are. You have to stop and you have to remember who you are, right? I am now in Christ. And it's like the apostle Paul says in this passage, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. In other words, what Paul is saying is, he's saying, don't think that you don't need this. 
Don't think that you don't need others and don't think they don't need you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. He says, no, you are a member of the body of Christ. You are a part of this body. And I started to think to myself, and I thought to myself, man, if that's true, if I'm a member of this body, this means that I cannot approach this thing passively. I have to approach this thing actively because this is my identity. I'm part of this body. That means that I need them and that means that they need me. That means I have something to contribute and that means they have something to contribute to me and that I need that to grow spiritually and they need me to grow spiritually. And so I have to be active in my commitment to this thing. And so I started to think about it and I thought, I know right now I wanna veg out, I wanna watch the Wonder Years, I wanna you know, do the Netflix thing, but, but I have to remember who I am. And I have to, and so I started to think, man, maybe tonight God has a divine appointment for me. Maybe tonight God wants to use me to encourage someone else. Maybe tonight God wants to use me to challenge someone else. Maybe tonight God has someone there that he wants me to pray for. And so I need to be prayerfully active and asking God, God, what do you want from me in this setting? Because this is my identity, man. I'm part of the body of Christ. And I need to take that seriously. And I need to take that actively, right? I thought, man, maybe, maybe someone's gonna bring a friend tonight. And God wants me to be an advocate. He wants me to be a resource in which he can use to show hospitality to that person so that they can be transformed for Christ. Maybe God wants to use me tonight and I need to remember that. I have to approach it actively. But then I also have to remember, not only does this body need me, but I need this body. And so maybe God has a divine appointment for me. Maybe there's someone who needs to encourage me. Maybe there's someone who needs to challenge me. Maybe someone needs to pray for me. Maybe God has a blessing for me there tonight. I need to think of myself with sober judgment. I'm not as important as I think I am. I need you and you need me because we are the body of Christ and we need each other. Uh, so, so we got in the car. We went to life group that night. And, um, and man, I'll tell you, I was so glad we did. I got a chance to talk to, to some, got a chance to meet a couple new people, talk to people. One of the things our life group is doing right now at our life group is we're going through um, the gospel of John and we're looking at the different miracles that Jesus performed. It's really great. And we're asking each week, we're asking three questions. The three questions we're asking is, um, what does this miracle say about Jesus? Um, and then the second question is, what does this miracle, what, uh, what did it mean to the audience, to the people there in the, in the chapter? And the third question, quite honestly, we've been asking is just, what does it mean for us? And man, I'll tell you, as we were going through those questions, I remember very specifically that week, there was a guy um, in our group who said something that has stuck with me for the past three weeks. And he just simply said this. We asked, we, we asked the question, what does this passage mean for us? And the guy said this. He said, you know, as I've been observing this, one of the things that really sticks out to me in this passage is that Jesus tests his disciples. And it, right, it was right there in the passage. But I'm just telling you, he made that observation and I needed to hear that at that moment and that time. And it stuck with me for the past three weeks. And I was like, man, I needed that. I needed to hear that. I needed to be reminded of that. God needed to show me that. And he used another person to bring that up and show that me in my life. And you see, this is what God intends for us. This is how we grow together. There needs to be this commitment that we have to one another to grow in this way. And that cannot be accomplished simply in one space. It has to show up in these other spaces. There's a radical commitment to each other. To have a radical commitment to Jesus means that we must have a radical commitment to each other. We are members of one another. We belong 
to each other. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that if you don't have that type of connectedness with other Christians, you are forfeiting one of the greatest means by which God intends for you to grow. We grow together, that's what the scripture tells us. That's how we do that. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and as, as they settle in, I wanna, um, I wanna just close with a couple quick thoughts about this that I think might be helpful for any of us who follow Jesus here. Put my safe back over here. For those of us who follow Christ, I just wanna ask you a question if you are a, a Christ follower. My question is real simple and here it is. If you are a follower of Jesus, do you find that you have a radical commitment, not simply to Jesus, but to his people? Is that showing up in your life? Is there a radical commitment that you have to others who follow Jesus? Because the Bible tells us that you cannot have a radical commitment to Christ without having a radical commitment to those who follow him. It's our identity now, right? It's our identity. We are one with Christ and we are one with each other. We are members of one another and we need to live up to that, right? Is that showing up in your life? Do you have a space in your life right now that, 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 that goes beyond simply one hour a week, one time a week? Is that showing up? Do you have other followers of Christ in your life, if you're a Christ follower, where you can practice the one another's, that they know you well enough that you can confess your sins to them and pray for each other, that you can bear one another's burden. Is that showing up in your life anyway? Do you have a space in your life that you can use the things that God has given you, the gifts that you have to serve other people? Does that show up? And I'm just saying, if it doesn't, if you don't have that space, you are forfeiting one of the greatest means by which God intends for you to grow. So I would challenge you, if that's the position you're in right now, my, my challenge for you, this next step, is I wanna encourage you to get connected to a life group. This is why we've created life groups. It's because, not because we think that life groups are the end-all, be-all. It's because we believe that if you look at what scripture teaches about the, the life that he wants us to live and the growth that he wants us to have, that this has to go beyond one space. So I'd challenge you to get connected to a life group. Some of you are scared to do that. You're scared to get connected to a life group. Maybe you're scared of being known. Maybe you're scared of, of being transparent before other people. And maybe you're just like, I'm just, I'm just so busy. I have no time for that. But the Bible says, man, this is our identity in Christ. And a radical commitment to Jesus means that we have to have a radical commitment to one another. Some of you are like, but man, it, it, I'm just afraid it's going to be awkward. Well, let me just go ahead and settle that for you. It's going to be awkward. It just will be right? Anytime you try to get to know other people, you get to know their nuances and their strange, quirky nature, and you're quirky too. And so when you get a bunch of people, imperfect people together, it's going to be awkward, right? You just need to get over that because you have to endure the awkwardness to eventually get to the thing that God wants for you in that. Some of you are like, yeah, but I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. I've been part of groups like that in the past. and I've been burned or I've been hurt. Well, let me just go ahead and settle that for you. You will get hurt. Promise you, you will because we're sinful people. And, and, and man, none of us are perfect. And, and by the grace of God, we're getting better, right? And, and not perfectly, but increasingly, man, God is growing us. But it means that we have to bear with each other, man. The same way that Jesus Christ bore our sins, we have to help bear the sins of other people in our lives. And other people will bear our inadequacies as well. And it's only through that type of commitment that we grow, right? It's how we grow, man. We grow together. For some of you, I would encourage you, take those cards, check out a group. We have groups for every age group. Go check it out and maybe get connected in some way to that group, all right? It's part of who we are. Now, some of you right now are already connected to that space. You have a space like that in your life. And if that's the case, 
Um, my, my guess is if you're anything like me, sometimes it's just good to be reminded. One of the things that happens oftentimes in my life is I get spiritual amnesia. I forget who I am in Christ. I forget about the importance of what it means to be connected in these ways. But you guys, for those of us who are connected to these things, we need to think rightly about who we are. And who are we, man? Well, we're in Christ. And we're forgiven in Christ. And we're sanctified in Christ, man. And we're all these great things in Christ. But we're also members of each other in Christ. And so we need to live according to that reality. We need to live according to that truth about our new position in Jesus Christ. And it shows up in these various spaces. And so if you're connected in a space like that, my hope is that you're just encouraged and reminded that this is a valuable use of our time because we are living in accordance with what God has designed and how he desires us to grow and to live. So if you don't have this space in your life, I'd encourage you to pursue it. A group space, a place where you can practice the one another's, a place where you can use your spiritual gifts, a place where you are part of the body, a member of others, a place where if you don't show up, you're missed. A place where where others don't show up, you miss them. That's what I'm talking about. It's in that context, the Bible says, that we grow. It's one of the means, that horizontal relationship, it's one of the means by which we're able to find mission and purpose and we're able to grow together in the way that God has designed for us to grow. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you that you have made, um, uh, you have given us a new identity in Christ. And uh, Lord, the truth is that uh, for, in order for us to live according to this new identity that you've called us to, that that doesn't simply mean that there's a vertical relationship with you. It also means there's a horizontal connectedness with your people. Lord, it's a, it can be a difficult thing to understand, but what you tell us is you tell us that we are now members of one another, that we belong to each other, that we're a body, that we are interwoven. For those of us who follow you, Jesus, that there is a connection that we have to each other. And that means that having a commitment to you, an all-out commitment to you requires an all-out commitment to each other. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to live according to that standard help us to live out that reality in our lives. But I know that there's some who are in this room today and um, quite honestly, they're just terrified. They're, they're scared of opening their lives to other people. They're scared of being known and knowing others. Father, there's many of us in this room who have been burnt, who have been hurt by other people, by other Christians. Um, Father, honestly, sometimes it's just easier to not engage in an active way with this identity of being part of your body. But the truth is, when we don't engage and when we allowed fear and apprehension to distance us from what you desire for us, Father, we forfeit. We forfeit one of the greatest means by which you have provided for us to grow. So I ask you, God, that you would give us a vision for this. Lord, help transform our minds. Help us to think differently about ourselves for those of us who follow you to be radically committed to you, to accept our new position in you, but also to understand that, man, there's a new position in each other, that we are connected to one another. We are members of each other. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us, that your spirit would teach us in these ways and help us to remain connected to one another in a meaningful way. We pray these things in Jesus' name.